The medical information communicated in this podcast is of a general educational nature. If you are feeling unwell, please seek the attention of a medical practitioner. Any advertisements promoted throughout the podcast are not endorsed by the presenter or any of the guests interviewed. Hi there, welcome to MediTalk, a medical podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You're with Danae. According to Diabetes Australia, gestational diabetes is the fastest growing type of diabetes affecting thousands of pregnant women every year. So today on MediTalk, I speak with Dr. Richard Murphy, a specialist obstetrician and gynaecologist from St. John of God Hospital in Subiaco, who answers all our questions about gestational diabetes. What is gestational diabetes? Uh, So gestational diabetes is diabetes that is diagnosed in pregnancy. It's that simple? That's it's that simple, yeah. So how different is it from type 1 or type 2? Is it the same? There'll be a small proportion of people with gestational diabetes who'll actually have an underlying type 1 or type 2 diabetes that they don't know about. Mm -hmm. Um, But for most women, the, the diagnostic threshold is a little bit lower for gestational diabetes and the physiological effects of pregnancy mean that your sugars run a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. So there'll be a lot of women who get gestational diabetes that aren't actually type 2 diabetes or type 1 diabetes. Okay. Yep. And how common is the condition? Mm. Well, it's one of these things that's getting more common. Um, if you look back in the literature, it used to be about 5%. Um, it's probably up around 15% now, and that's a sort of a combination of um tightening um, diagnostic thresholds um, and also just the changing demographics of pregnant women. So it's it's largely sort of genetics um, and so uh, there'll be a strong link to from gestational diabetes to type 2 diabetes in later life and that'll have a, a multi-genetic sort of component to it. Um, and then so as you get older, um, you're more likely to get type 2 diabetes, you're more likely at gestational diabetes, but you're also likely to do a whole lot of other things like be less active, put more weight on, you know, and develop, you know, a range of other health conditions that you didn't have when you were maybe younger. Mm-hmm. There isn't signs and symptoms of gestational diabetes. It's not a clinical diagnosis. You need a, you need the um, sugar drink and the blood test, mm-hmm. which is, you know, not much fun for a lot of people. Um, but the women, that, the women at risk will be the older women, the women that carry extra weight, the women with a history of type 2 diabetes in their families and also certain ethnic groups. So um, Maoris, Torres Strait, um, Maoris, um, Islanders, um, Aboriginal people, um, Filipinos, Indians will all have a, a, a much higher risk of diabetes than or gestational diabetes than your um, Caucasian woman. Mm-hmm. And how is it diagnosed? So this is interesting. So the, the gold standard for diagnosis is a glucose tolerance test, which is really not much fun for a lot of women. So it's a 75-gram glucose load. Mm-hmm. So that's the equivalent of two cans of Coke, sugar Coke, that is, mm-hmm. in less than one can of Coke's volume, taken on an empty stomach. Mm-hmm. And so you have a blood test done before that drink, a blood test an hour after that drink, and a blood test two hours after that drink. So it takes a lot of time. You've got to be fast. You've got to make an appointment. And uh, the the volume of sugar and the effect that has on your body can make some people feel horrible, you know, um, shaky, nauseous. A lot of, you know, a number of people vomit mm-hmm. and can't complete the test, um, which is most unpleasant. And do you have to go for a diagnosis? Is it advised if you... 
Absolutely. We'd recommend that every woman in pregnancy has some form of diabetes screening. Okay. So uh, there's a couple of approaches that you could go for. Um, and up until COVID came along, um, all of the professional societies were recommending a full glucose tolerance test for everyone. You know, when you think about it, there are some women who are young, slim, small, um, who, you know, if you're a 50 kilo, 22 year old with no family history of diabetes, you know, a 75 gram sugar load is, you know, one and a half grams per kilo. Mm. <laughs> and, and just on the volume of sugar, you may well fall over and fail the test and be diagnosed with gestational diabetes for no fault of your own. Mm. Um, so um, when COVID came along and they didn't want women sitting around in pathology clinics for two or three hours at a time, suddenly um, a HbA1c, which is a simple blood test, no sugar drink, in and out the door in a few seconds, was acceptable. So, you know, the, the, the diagnostic criteria are flexible in this sort of condition. Um, but look, my, the, the alternative way of, of diagnosing would be doing a simple 50-gram glucose challenge, which is a much simpler test. So it's a 50-gram glucose drink. You don't have to be fasted. You don't have to make an appointment. You roll in, have the drink, sit down for one hour in the clinic and you have a blood test, just a one-off blood test, and you're out the door. And if you pass that, you don't need a full glucose tolerance test. Okay. okay if, you know, and that would be an appropriate way to go for probably the majority of women, if you're, you know, young, slim, um, no family history of gestational diabetes, type 2 diabetes, haven't had big babies in the past, that would be a reasonable way to go. And there was a nice study just just a year or so ago in the New England Journal of Medicine that looked at, you know, doing the 50-gram glucose challenge uh, as the initial test. And if you fail that, then do then the full GTT or going straight to the GTT. They actually showed that you diagnose half as many women with gestational diabetes but the actual maternal and, and baby outcomes at the end of your pregnancy are just the same. And are there ways to prevent gestational diabetes? Uh, if you feel like you could be tricky, at high risk, I mean, yeah. The, it, it all comes down to your genetics and then your risks and, you know, entering your pregnancy as healthy and as well as you can is the ideal situation. So if you are carrying extra weight, if you're sedentary, not moving, you haven't got any muscle mass on your body, um, that's not going to help you cause, you know, you've got your inbuilt genetics, but you need to make yourself as fit as well as you can. And there will be a, a good number of women out there who are possibly not as match fit as they could be to get pregnant, mm -hmm. um, who, you know, with some um, lifestyle adjustment in a period leading up to their pregnancy will probably do better. And what's the importance of being diagnosed and treated with this condition for, for both the mum and the baby? Mm. So there is a direct correlation between your sugar levels in pregnancy and how well um, your your pregnancy goes, you know, your risk of um, big babies, um, preeclampsia, um, shoulder dystocia, um, babies getting low sugars after they're born. There'll be a whole raft of conditions that are much more common as your sugars creep up. And so we know that if we recognise those women early and we do a diagnostic test at sort of 26 to 28 weeks uh, and make sure that those women then can keep their sugars in a normal band, um, then their placentas will function better, they'll sort of have babies that do better and they'll do better themselves. And what are the treatment options? So once you're diagnosed, where to from there with therapy? Hmm. 
So for mo- well, first of all, you need to know, you know, you've got the gestational diabetes diagnosis, you've had a, a glucose tolerance test where your sugars are too high. Are you one of, one of the women who've actually got a problem, mm. who are destined to have a complicated pregnancy, or are you someone who really perhaps the test was not for you and you don't actually have a real problem with your sugars? So you need to measure your sugars to start with. Mm-hmm. And so women with gestational diabetes would start checking their sugars four times a day. They'd do a before breakfast fasted you know, overnight um, blood test and then they'd test their sugars two hours after breakfast, two hours after lunch, two hours after dinner. And we want to see whether those sugars are all normal. Mm-hmm. So if you've got your, your, your blood sugars for all of those tests below the threshold and you're you know, then you probably don't need to do much else. You know, be sensible with your diet. Um, you probably don't need to be checking your sugars every day. You might check your sugars maybe two days a week. Measure your, measure your baby's growth and make sure everything else is going along okay, but they're probably not going to have major complications in their pregnancy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, obviously if you start measuring your sugars, you know, your fasting sugar in the morning's too high, then that would indicate that overnight your sugars have been high all night. And then, you know, do your sugars pop up too high after breakfast or lunch or dinner? And that would then indicate that maybe there's things you need to do with your meals that, that you need to do differently. You know, are you eating the right right things or eating the wrong things? Are you eating the right volume or the right size of meal or eating too much? Um, are you eating at the wrong time of the day? Um, are you active enough during the day? So you need to sort of then look at, um, you know, the overall uh, woman's lifestyle and see what they're doing. So you can, with good monitoring, it's about really assessing your diet and you and, and how you're moving your body being, in mm. terms of yep. physical activity. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, women need to be active in pregnancy um, for the vast majority of people unless you've got some sort of, you know, unusual complication. Um, and we know that, you know, physical activity and getting your muscles working uh, will lower your sugars through the day. And then if you're a type 1 or type 2 diabetes prior to your pregnancy, mm. is that much different once you become pregnant? That is a bloody good question. <laughs> and, you know, it's interesting because most of us would perceive type 1 diabetes, which is autoimmune, mm. you know, you just don't produce the insulin, mm. as a much more critical illness and people get really sick. You can end up in ICU fairly quickly with badly controlled type 1 diabetes. Mm. And, you know, a lot of people when they first present with it will end up, you know, admitted to hospital in ICU because they're really critically ill. Um, Whereas type 2 diabetes creeps along and it's sort of, you know, there's no obvious symptoms. And, you know, unless you have the diagnostic test, you can find yourself with a real problem without really knowing you're walking into it. Mm. So, So there are a different crowd. The type 1s and the type 2s are a different crowd. And the type 1 women know that if they don't behave themselves and keep their sugars under control, they get sick mm. real quick. And so actually, surprisingly, type 1 diabetics type to tend to do better in pregnancy than type 2 diabetes, you know, because they know how to manage their sugars. They have to own it. There's no, there's no way you can't own your disease. Mm. And if they manage that appropriately, they do really well. Oh, that's good mm. to know. On the other hand, yes. women, with, <laughs> women with type 2 diabetes and women with gestational diabetes, they they can run the risk of perhaps not owning their, their illness or the diagnosis and not managing it appropriately. You know, it does take hard work. You know, it's, you've got to get yourself moving and for a lot of women they won't be that active before the diagnosis. You know, they need to make sure that actually every meal for the duration of their pregnancy they really behave themselves, mm. you know, and they do what they're supposed to do. Because what are the 
there's serious consequences to not doing that in that they can have, you know, perhaps medical issues with their pregnancy? So if you've got poorly controlled gestational diabetes, then that will affect your placental function, affect your insulin levels, affect your sugar levels. So classically, uh, gestational diabetes babies will be bigger, you know, and there'll be more risk of um, obstruction in labour, ending up with an emergency cerebrosarian section, um, having a shoulder dystocia where the, the, the shoulders on the baby for the diabetics are often big and can get stuck. So you get a baby that's head delivers and the shoulders get stuck and that's a fairly scary complication mm -hmm. as an obstetrician or a midwife when you're trying to deliver a baby. Um, but also poor diabetic control and poor sugar control will mean that your placenta is at risk of not functioning so well. And so they're conversely at risk of small babies as well, you know, and things like preeclampsia um, because your placenta is not functioning quite so well. And then you can get that sort of fat, skinny baby where, you know, the diabetes will drive the baby to, to be a, a chubby baby, mm. but then the placenta stops working so well, so they get an element of growth restriction on their chubby baby. So, yeah. So lots of good it's reasons a, for looking after yourself. Lots of good reasons to look after yourself. <laughs> Essentially. Yeah. And then in terms of once you're diagnosed and you've got through your pregnancy, you've had your baby, does, could that mean that you have diabetes for the rest of your life, both you and the baby, or not really? So pregnancy is a really interesting condition where it's kind of a little window into your future, you know, and so, and into your past as well, because, you know, you, you need to think about your family history, you know, and if your mum's had early babies, you're at risk of having early babies. If your mum's gone two or three weeks over for all the pregnancies before she's gone into labour, you're probably going to do something similar. If your mum's had nasty preeclampsia or, or gestational diabetes, all of those things are a, a risk for you. And, and like blood pressure problems in pregnancy, you know, are a risk for developing hypertension later on in life. If you get diagnosed with gestational diabetes, you'll probably have around a 50% chance of having type 2 diabetes in the next 10 years. Right. And so that will be, you know, something that you need to then think, how are you going to manage that? You know, and if you get diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, the first thing that anyone, any doctor is going to say is get yourself moving, you know, make sure your weight's good, eat the right thing, you know, and really sort of look after your lifestyle. So, you know, it's one of those things that once you've finished your pregnancy with gestational diabetes, you need to think, what am I going to do to stop getting gestational diabetes with my next pregnancy? And what am I going to do to prevent type 2 diabetes down the track? And they're good things for just your total health and well-being Absolutely. to be doing anyway. Absolutely. So that's a good thing. Absolutely. You <laughs> just know, more incentive or reasons yeah. to do it. Yeah. And what about breastfeeding? Does it limit your ability to breastfeed? Absolutely not, no. no. So breastfeeding's um, always a bugbear. Um, anyone having a baby thinks that it's all about the pregnancy and all about the delivery, but when the when you know when your baby arrives in your arms, you're only at the start of the race. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, you just you're just cr crossing the start line, and it always is hard work to start breastfeeding. It always takes about three days for your milk to come in, so your baby will start to shrink a little bit beforehand, and it's always hard work. But you know, with perseverance and persistence and doggedness, most women will, will, will be able to get around breastfeeding. And actually, breastfed babies do better in terms of their uh, long-term weight management. They're less likely to be overweight um, and it'll have effects on their, their risk of diabetes long-term. So, in fact, women with diabetes and type 2 diabetes and gestational diabetes 
will be much better off trying to breastfeed their babies as hard as they can. And why is it that some, I was reading that some people who have been diagnosed with gestational diabetes in pregnancy, obviously, then suddenly it disappears after pregnancy and other other women it's not? Is that because the lifestyle is that's the that's the effect of pregnancy on your blood sugar. So your blood sugars will, will creep up in pregnancy due mm-hmm. to all the hormones mm-hmm. and then that'll normalise as soon as that placenta disappears and you're not pregnant anymore. Okay. And are there any sort of myths about diabetes in pregnancy? Yeah. Well, so first of all, you know, is it is it related to, you know, eating cake or exactly yes. what you eat and all that sort of stuff? Probably not, you know. I mean, to a degree, yes. But, you know, it's it's sort of in, in – it's a – it's all around about your genes as much as anything else. And, you know, you don't have to be overweight to have type, you know, gestational diabetes. You know, it's not related to, you know, what you ate in your last meal or in the last week. Um, so that's not really such a big issue, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's all about you know, your long-term health and your genetics and, you know, that sort of risk. Okay. Mm. And then just to finish off, are there any sort of other key messages that you want that you think it's important that, mm. that women know so first of all not all women will be able to keep their sugars adequately controlled with lifestyle factors diet exercise and so they will need often insulin mm-hmm. to keep their sugars low and that's not the end of the earth you know people really do um can be at risk of viewing it as a personal failure or a moral fa- moral failure mm. if they require insulin in pregnancy. And actually, you know, for some women, it is the best way to control their sugars. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's that shouldn't be you know uh, viewed as a, a failure in itself. You know, mm-hmm. and insulin could be quite useful to um, allow people to control their disease. Mm-hmm. Okay, and there's been um, uh, you know. I've heard there's patches now. Are there some great ways that people can get their insulin or is it still? It's all injectable. All still injectable. Yeah, yep, okay. all injectable, yeah. So you can, the patches you're talking about are yeah. the, like the, you'll see a lot of type 1 diabetics walking around and they'll have a little yes. insulin infusion. So oh. they'll have a little needle in under the little, um, under the skin. Yes. And that'll sort of um, release the insulin at a slow rate and then they can, you know, use their little gadget to mm. provide a little bolus with meals or whatever. And that that's really works brilliantly for a lot of women with type yes. 1 diabetes. Okay. Yep. So you wouldn't tend to the cost of that and the education and sort of, mm. you know, getting that all up to speed is, is not something you do in a gestational diabetes setting. So they're still injecting. So you'd be injecting, you know, if you needed a, if your morning sugars are often high, then you'd be on a long-acting after-dinner in insulin. Mm. And if you, you know, uh, meals, you know, if your breakfast are always high after breakfast, you might have a short-acting dose of insulin with your breakfast, something and like that. And is it quite, you know, you would have got a lot of patient feedback. Is it? Does it hurt, for, you know, for women that have never done injectors, injectables? No, no. I mean, I think needles probably hurt more in the brain than they do in, yeah, true. in, in the skin, which I suppose all pain is felt in the brain, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's like a bit like IVF stuff. Um, you, can, you can overthink it and sort of worry about, whether it's going to hurt or not, but actually the reality is the needles are very thin and with you know, a half-decent injection technique, you'll be fine. Yeah, and a lot of mothers that you have looked after and treated, they sort of deal with it and it's all okay? Absolutely, yeah. Yep. Oh, that's good. Absolutely. We've got lots of lovely babies from diabetic mums. Oh, that's So that's, that's fine. Very and that's, reassuring. And, and I, I would think too, if you've got a good support around you and um, good doctors and good nurses and Absolutely. Midwives. I mean, you know, managing this is all sort of a... Uh, 
uh, it's all done in a bit of a team's approach. You know, it won't be just a, a, an obstetrician or a GP. It'll be uh, midwives, there'll be dietitians, there'll be diabetic education nurses. You know, it uh, requires a lot of people. There'll be um, specialist um, physicians who've got an interest in obstetric medicine who will manage, help manage the more complicated women who need insulin. So mm -hmm. that really is a team approach. I think that um, well, cl clearly everyone needs to have a, a diabetes screen in pregnancy. And it's really just a matter of um, if you get the diagnosis, you really just need to own that as best you can. You know, don't view it as any failure or any cause for um, alarm. You just need to get, get busy and manage it. Um, and uh, if you do that appropriately, you'll be fine. And I think, you know, it's easy, always easy to do that if you're in a happy, well you know, safe environment, mm. there'll be, you know, some women who have got a whole lot of other pressures on themselves, you know, in their lives that, that make managing any complication in the pregnancy much more difficult. Um, and so, you know, having your life as settled and your relationships as settled and, you know, everything in as happy and as positive a space as you can means that managing any of this stuff will be much easier. Oh, that's good. That's a good message to finish on. Mm. Thank you so much for your time today. No, thank you today. It's been lovely. A big thank you to Dr Murphy for sharing his time and knowledge with us today on Meditalk. And to learn more about Dr Murphy and St John of God Hospital Subiaco, visit sjog.org.au and drrichardmurphy.com.au. If you feel this podcast episode can help a friend or a family member, please share, as sharing knowledge empowers our lives and the lives of others. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute to write a quick review on Apple Podcasts. To listen to more episodes of Meditalk, visit meditalk.com.au and if you have any medical conditions you would like to learn more about, please send me an email via danae at meditalk.com.au. Stay well and thank you for listening.